Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. Happy Mother's Day to all you directors of operations. May your associates be easy on you today. The current estimate, you know, every year they come out with this estimate of how much a mother would be paid if she were paid for what she does. And this year, it's around $150,000. I would take that. I would do that. It would make me feel better if I were up in the middle of the night, which, you know, some people are up in the middle of the night for more years than others. I remember having a four-year-old when we first moved here and still getting up every, like, two or three hours. He'd come down. I had read something in a book about what you do. You're completely flat. You don't make it exciting. You just walk them back up. You don't say anything. Put them to bed. And I would do that like three or four times a night. I'm sure Randy was doing it just as many times. I just didn't see him doing it. <laughs> so I'll take the salary if you don't mind. Thank you. Mother's Day is an interesting thing. I mean, it's a great day to honor the things that mothers do that go mostly unnoticed. At least we think they do. It's also a day that's so sad. I've seen so many people posting on Facebook how much they miss their mother. But there are lots of dynamics that go on in there. And I just want to say happy Mother's Day to all of us, no matter where you are this Mother's Day. If you're a new mother, if you're an empty nester, if you are a grandparent, if you are a mom-to-be or a mom who wants to be, who struggles with trouble having a child, if you are um, someone who's not technically a mom, but you influence other people, other children, that is so important for all of us to do, to come together and to realize that whether or not you're a female, whether or not you are an actual mother, God still considers you an influencer, a raiser, of children. So all of this applies to all of us. And here's to, especially, I want to say the heroic single mom. I cannot even imagine how much there is that goes on in her heart, in her mind, and in her body, in her efforts every day, day in and day out. I know we just finished a sermon series on entitlement, but I really think that moms deserve a huge Happy Mother's Day. Maybe even, this is radical, maybe even a nap. So maybe Happy Mother's Day. I hope you get a nap. God made moms on purpose. And when he made them, he stepped back and he said, that is very good. But sometimes we wonder, Am I very good? And so I'm going to talk about expectations today. Sometimes I think expectations can really spur us on to some place we need to be, but sometimes they can just set us up for grave disappointment and a sense of failure. So I want to talk about our own expectations first. I want to talk about how we feel that everyone expects moms to be a rock, a safe place to land, a maid, a hostess, a teacher, and a chauffeur. And moms expect a lot of themselves. Maybe you expected something from your mother you never got and wished you had. 
misplaced expectations can be very discouraging, whether it's expectations we have of ourselves or of others for us. The biggest disappointments in our lives are often the result of misplaced expectations. Don't you ever find that? Do you ever get mad at somebody because you think, well, they should have asked me to go with them or something? I don't have great examples. They should have asked me to go to Top Golf with them. Well, maybe they shouldn't have asked you, but you expected they should have, and so you got your feelings hurt, and you're all set up for disappointment. And I just see it over and over again in other people. I don't see any of these things in myself. I am a coach, not a player. But let me just say, and that is one of my failings, I'm sure. But I see it when people are angry or upset or disappointed. I think so often it's because they decided to expect something that may or may not have been realistic. It is one of the greatest causes of disappointment in life is misplaced expectations. And some of the ones that mothers may expect or we may expect about mothers are, one, my child will fully complete me. Remember in the movie where it says, you complete me? And so maybe you get married and you think, you're going to complete me, and it doesn't quite work. So you think, okay, I'll have a baby. Surely that will complete me. Maybe it seems like, man, if we have a baby... It'll fix my marriage. It'll make things better. Or I don't feel that great about myself, but if I have a baby, that baby will need me and love me unconditionally, and finally I'll be fulfilled and I'll have someone who loves me. Well, it doesn't always feel like they love you, does it? My mother will fully care for me. There's another expectation. My mother has responsibility for me. Surely she understands all my moods. Surely she won't ask me to do anything I don't want to do. Surely she knows when to not irritate me. Good luck with that. Or how about this one? I will be the perfect mom. That is the mantra, the inner mantra of everyone who is about to have a baby and of no one who has had one. The minute you hold that little real-life human being in your arms, all those dreams start to dismantle piece by piece, pixel by pixel. Mine started to dismantle even before the birth of my first child when my father looked at my growing belly and he said, Susan, don't think of this as a cute, cuddly baby. Start now thinking of it as a hulking, pimply teenager who wants your car keys. I specifically remember thinking, though, that I was going to be the very best mother that any grandparent could have, the mother of their grandchild, because I was going to send them pictures. And this was before the day of iPhones. I know it's hard to imagine. You couldn't have instant pictures and instant send at your fingertips all the time. You had to take this thing called um, film to a store where they would they would uh, print it, and then you would go pick up your prints, you would look through them, you would write a beautiful letter to your mother-in-law filled with pictures that would prove forever and ever that you were the best of the daughters-in-law, and you would mail them regularly, and she would be so pleased, and you'd be so proud, and I don't know if I ever did that one single time. I might have, and if I did, it was probably stained with just a tiny little dab of poop or something. I mean, there's nothing perfect about it. I remember one day um, writing 
from my home to my parents' home. It was about 45 minutes, and I had baby William in the back seat. By now, I was a, a very mature mother. You don't need to know how mature. I was very mature with a little baby. You would think I could do pretty well by now. And he's in the back seat learning to talk. And I think, oh, that's so cute. And you know what he's saying? Mama. Bless his heart. He's saying, Mama. And I'm like, that is so cute. I love you, too. I know I'm your favorite, and I love you, too. And he's in the back seat, and he says it again. And then he says it again for 45 minutes. And by the end of it, you know that parents swipe in the back seat where they can't quite reach you, but they're trying, and you're swerving on the road? Like this little baby, sweet, saying, Mama, I was so sick of him. <laughs> Pretty quickly, it becomes a game of survival, not perfection. I went to my Sunday school class. I was teaching at the time the next Sunday, and I said, I have to confess. I was a bad mom this week. I tried to hit my child in the back seat. I noticed there's a new movie coming out, and it's called Bad Moms. I think it's a bad movie. Don't go see it. Because I don't like how they decide to react, but I do like the reason that they react. There's a trailer. It hadn't come out yet. But the trailer shows this mom who has a job. I don't see a dad in the trailer, so I don't know. She may be all by herself, and she's got these kids, and she's determined to look good and do everything right. And she works really, really hard to make it to the PTA meeting where the perfect mom is leading the PTA meeting. And she gets there, and there's this chart up on after lots of awful attempts. She gets there, and there's this, on the screen this big pie chart that's talking about the upcoming bake sale, and it's telling them, what to bring and what not to bring. And it says on that chart, uh, no BPA, no MSG, no BHA, no BHT, no sesame, no soy, no nuts, no eggs, no butter, no milk, no salt, no sugar, no wheat. And she says, no. And they all look at her and she says, I'm so tired of trying to be this perfect mom. I'm done. Well, who expected her to be a perfect mom? Did anybody else expect her to be a perfect mom? Not really. She imposed that on herself. So often these expectations are something we dream up in our mind, not that we even really expect it of ourselves, but we think someone else is expecting it of us. That is so unfair. Why would we put that on other people? Maybe they want it because it would be easy for them, but I don't think anyone really expects it. So opposite of a misplaced expectation, a well-placed expectation can be a great source of encouragement. Instead of thinking, my child will complete me, we can think, I will delight in watching my child unfold, but I will not base my self-worth on that child or on that relationship. It's an unfair burden to put on any other human being. Whether your child strikes out or hits a home run has nothing to do with who you are. How you respond to it does. And it's hard to tell from a stand sometimes that anyone gets that. Instead of thinking my mother should have done better by me, we could think 
I appreciate what she did, and I forgive her for what she didn't do. I sure hope my children say that about me sometime. In fact, the main reason we had a second child was so there would be a therapy group for our first one. Instead of thinking to ourselves, I will be the perfect mom, or the perfect dad, or the perfect friend, or the perfect spouse, or the perfect child, any of that. Instead of thinking that, we could think, I know I'll fall, and I know that sometimes I'll fail miserably, but I will keep striving with God's help. I can live better with those things than with unrealistic expectations. I want to lean on God for fulfillment, not on any human relationship. Those will all fall short, and it's not fair to the human. Patsy Claremont tells a story of her early marriage, and she says, My husband and I were two pitiful people, married to each other, hoping to, that the other would fulfill me, him. I don't know how to say that. She said, We were like two buckets shot full of holes, and we each wanted the other one to fill our bucket up. So whatever tiny bit that my husband could get in his bucket and pour into mine would go out immediately through the holes. And we were so frustrated with each other, and we couldn't figure out why we just couldn't satisfy each other. She said it was a miserable existence, and they came close to divorce because of it. Since God is the source of all good things, he is the one who satisfies the longing soul. Psalm says, the hungry soul, he fills with good things. Not human relationships, the God relationship is the one that will fill you up. God has expectations for motherhood. He expects us to show and tell. Now, his expectations are realistic. They're real and they're realistic and they're serious. We could substitute the word hope for expectation and I like it better. But I also think there's something good about God expects because sometimes we are too easy on ourselves where God is concerned because he is a God of grace, but he is also a God who says, stand up, my child, and do what I know you can do. He expects us to show children who he is and to tell children who he is. Deuteronomy says, um, commit yourself wholeheartedly to these words of mine. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as a reminder. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, and when you're getting up. Did they already put the slide up and I missed it? You know that one, there was one that said, if we don't teach our children to follow Christ, the world will teach them not to. Have you seen that yet? I thought that was so good. It's so obvious, but I think it's even more extreme than that. Even if we do teach our children about God, they will still be pulled by the world. They will still be confused. They will still have a hard time sticking to what they have learned is true. They will still be tempted. They will still stray. The world is not getting easier. The world seems to be getting harder, even though I know it's been hard through history and I'm not a particularly want to be a doomsday person, but I do think the culture that our children live in is extremely difficult, 
And I think most of us who are in the workplace or at home are naive to what they live with. I think we don't know how hard it is. And if we think we can just live our lives and every once in a while take them to church or say a bedtime prayer, and they're still way better off than most kids, I should feel pretty good about that. We are completely in the dark about what they deal with day to day. They deal with extreme judgment from their peers, which can give them a critically lagging sense of self-worth. And that drives you to want to belong even more than your natural desire to belong. And you'll do almost anything to feel like you belong. Make sure they know they belong. They belong to God. And that's where they need to remain. So our children need to hear us tell them the gospel stories, hear us tell them the truths of God's word, be taught how to find his word for themselves, to read it regularly, so that they can learn what is true and what is a lie, because they are come after with lies every minute of their lives. Let's not be naive, and let's not raise children who are vulnerable to attack, who are weak, gullible, and believe lies. You are so encouraging. <laughs> Thank you. It's because of you. You ain't no dummy. But telling is not enough. I do want to emphasize telling because sometimes we think, I'm a good person. My child sees me be a good person. The, the children around me see that I don't do bad things. I haven't killed anybody lately. Whatever. I'm going to talk about how we have to model behavior for our children and model the character of Christ for them. But before I leave telling them, I want to emphasize again that sometimes we leave that part out. We leave out the telling, or we read the, the children's Bible, which I love doing. I think that's so important. But we have to push and push ourselves even out of our comfort zones to continually talk about God. I started, three, uh, started two preschools in different churches that we lived in, and through the process of starting those preschools in a church, I came to feel extremely strongly about um, early childhood Christian education, and that we wanted our schools to talk about God all the time. Some of the children who came to our school may not be Christians, and that made it even more important. They may not hear it anywhere else. But as long as you have a child in your presence, as long as you have any child in your sphere of influence, we, I believe, have a strong obligation to share with them what we know in every possible way. And it needs to be not just on Sundays, it needs to be every day. You walk outside and you say, look at this beautiful tree God made. God is part of everyday conversation in a positive way. It's like uttering a prayer. It's the most beautiful thing you can say, Jesus. The sweet, sweet name of Jesus. Happy the home, says an old hymn. It says, happy the home when God is there when early children lisp his name. 
when at a very young age, they're lisping his name, Jesus, Jesus. God expects us to show children through the way we live. I'd rather see a sermon any day than to hear one, wouldn't you? In fact, what I hear is not believable unless I also see it. And so often we parents and we adults are very quick to preach, but we're not so quick to live like Jesus. So if our words don't match our lives, our attitudes, our talk, the way we treat other people, the things we do in our personal lives, kids are such great fake detectors. They know when you're fake. They know when you're real. We may think we're kidding them, but we're the only ones we're kidding. God takes this so seriously that he says in Matthew, if you cause one of these little ones who trusts in me to sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and drowned in the depths of the sea. This is really serious. It's really serious. Do not confuse the children around you with talk of God and actions of something else. Not even in the slightest. We have to be extremely strict with ourselves, so that our children may come even part way when you counterbalance that with the weight of the world pulling on them. We've already established that perfection's out of the question, okay? Can we agree on that? But there's one thing that's not out of the question, and that is something called sanctification. And that is the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. I think that is the number one calling of all of us as Christians. It is the number one calling of all adults because they're influencing those around them, children and otherwise. And there is no question, it is the number one responsibility of mothers. If we are to take on and say to God, yes, I will take on one of your precious children, then our number one responsibility is not to feed them and clothe them or take them to school or take them to dance, or take them to soccer, or make sure they're in the popular crowd. Our number one responsibility is that we as mothers become closer to God every day and more and more like Jesus every day. You know, the verse says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added unto you. That's the truth. We can't go after all the other things to be added unto our child and it really work out in the long term. Mothers have to have a close relationship with God that is continually growing. They have to be true friends with God. Their children should catch them, accidentally catch them on their knees, praying, reading their Bibles, being kind to others when no one knows it, doing the right thing when it's easier to do the wrong thing. Taking back a penny you owe somebody when it seems like it wouldn't matter or no one would know. Children need to see that happen. So God expects us to show children who he is. We can test ourselves by the fruits of the Spirit. In Galatians it says, the Holy Spirit, which is God's Spirit with us, which he asks us to invite him into our lives so that we can have the power of his Spirit to become those things that we cannot be on our own. So the Holy Spirit in us produces this. 
love, and I'm talking real love, which we'll talk about in a little while, joy, not circumstantial happiness, a deep abiding joy and peace, patience, God help me with patience, please, that he will give it to you. Ask him. Ask him again. Ask him again. Mean it. Pray. Try. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. And self-control. Am I exhibiting these qualities in my life? Am I moving toward them? My child can tell, even if I'm not noticing. That's a good way to measure. Do you feel a little weak for the task? I do. I hope you do too. I think any of us who thinks, I'm doing it, we're in a terrible spot. Or any of us who thinks, I don't really want to think about it, I'm doing okay. We may be even in a worse spot. As Jesus says, if you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. Be either hot or cold. I can work with that. I know that I am not up to the task. I know that I don't fully exhibit the fruits of the Spirit by a long shot. I know that I fail as a mom, as a human, as a Christian. But I'm not giving up. And God expects us to stay the course. In fact, he promises He expects to provide us with everything we need. That is such a huge relief. Do you ever feel alone as a mom? Do you feel like nobody else knows what you're doing? Nobody else sees how many times you picked up macaroni and cheese or cleaned the dog's back after the kids ate or you know what I'm talking about? They dropped food on the dog's back. Anyway, all those millions of things. It's like the mom whose husband came home at the end of the day and there were toys all around the yard. There was spilled milk on the coffee table, the children were crying, they were running around the front yard. She was sitting up in her, uh, in her bed reading a book and he came in and he said, honey, what's the matter? And she said, you know how every day you come home and you ask me what I've been doing all day? Well, today I didn't do it. <laughs> but you wonder, does anybody notice? Does it matter? Does it make a difference? If I, if I you know, whatever. You know what I'm saying? But God expects to provide us everything we need. We're not alone. We have our best friend, so make sure you have your best friend and that you're plugged into him so that you can receive these things that he wants to give you so that you can do what he's asking you to do. I remember praying when I brought home our first child, God, may she exceed me. May she exceed me. I want her to be better than me. I want to try and I want to do my best, but I want her to be better than me and go further than me. And I realize now, And I think at the time I did too. It's kind of a cop-out prayer because I can't give up. I have to be maybe more than I think I can be for her sake. But it's also an admission that I need help, that I know I can't do it all. Um, One of the things that God gives us is rest. I love this picture. They're about to put it up. God says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. That is your Mother's Day nap. Right there. Enjoy it. That may be the most of it you get. Just look at it. You know, it's more than a physical rest, isn't it? It's like when you think of God, and you think of what, if you read a Bible verse, you sing a song, you listen to KSBJ, you center your thoughts on him, you let him fill you, don't your shoulders just kind of, you just relax. There's a new kind of rest. It's not, it's more than a nap. 
It's more than physical. I might have missed a point, and that may be why they don't know what to put up, but. I didn't. Thank you. He said good work. I don't think I missed a point. God also expects to give us grace. Thank God. I think that's where I was really going when I was saying something earlier that I don't remember. I do have Alzheimer's, sort of. But I do think that's what I was sort of saying earlier about realizing that I needed help, I wanted my child to exceed me, was that I knew I needed grace for the journey. I knew that I would mess up. I know that I need forgiveness. But the thing is, we don't get forgiveness unless we do a couple of things first. Like, yes, it's a free gift. Yes, it's always available. Yes, God wants to give it to us. Yes, Jesus died on the cross to make us understand that it's available for us once and for all and for always. But you know what we have to do? We have to do this thing called receiving it. And we're pretty closed up a lot of times. It's kind of painful to, rec- to say that I messed up. It's kind of shameful sometimes to us, and we don't want to acknowledge it. But we have to let God help us see ourselves as we are. We have to say, yes, I see now that is a problem. It's a growth area. Let's call it a growth area. So we can see our growth areas. I mean, we can deceive ourselves all day long if we want to, but we're going nowhere with that. And everybody else can usually see more about us than we're seeing about ourselves. So ask God to give you eyes to see who you are. And then when you say, God, I see that. Yuck. I don't like it. I'm sorry I did it, or I don't like that trait in myself, especially as it makes me less of a mother, less of an influencer to those around me. So God, I'm sorry. We have to say I'm sorry. Not for his sake, but for ours. We have to know. I don't like it. I am sorry. I'm sad about it. And then we have to say, I want to change. And that's repenting. That's turning. Repent means to turn. And as a parent, we need to repent because it opens the door for growth and goodness for our children. Once we repent, and then we have to say, I receive your, your forgiveness. I'm not going to stay in this place of being stuck or ashamed or embarrassed or prideful where I can't move forward. I'm just going to let go of that because that doesn't get me anywhere either. So we have to repent, we have to accept God's grace, we have to accept his forgiveness so we can move forward to be an effective parent. And if our pride is keeping us from doing that, our children suffer along with us. All the people around us suffer. God expects to multiply what we do. He expects to give us multiplication. When he was preaching on the hillside, And thousands and thousands of people came to listen to him. He said to his disciples, these people are hungry, let's feed them. And the disciples said, we are not equipped to feed these people. Do you ever feel like that at home? You got all these little people running around? I am not equipped to feed these people. We are out of macaroni and cheese. By the way, Annie's makes organic macaroni and cheese, so you can feel better about it. But I personally am out of it. I am not equipped, God, to do all the things that you're asking me to do for these people. And so, what did Jesus do? He waited, and he let them figure something out. They looked, and they complained, and and some of them said, we can't do it. 
But one of them, at least one of them, went looking for a solution, and he found a little boy who had lunch that his mama had packed for him, I'm sure. It was some fish and some little loaves of bread, and here were thousands of people on the hillside, and Andrew had the audacity to take that tiny little lunch over to Jesus and say, well, here's something. And Jesus said, okay, thank you. And he took it, and it was enough because he blessed it. He says he blessed them and somehow distributed the fishes and loaves, and it was so abundant and so much enough that the disciples had to gather up all the leftovers in baskets at the end. You and I don't have enough for the need. We are not equipped for what God is asking us to do and for what needs to be done, what we want to do. We are not equipped. But don't give up. Don't say, I can't do it. Don't say it's impossible. Don't say, I am no good. All of those things are true. But take your little pail to him anyway. Give it to him and trust him. Do what you can and receive his love and his grace and let him do his thing. But he has set up the world in such a way that he will not barge in to a circumstance and do it without you. He wants to be partners with us. So we take our meager little bit and he'll still count us a partner even though there wasn't much to offer and he'll make something beautiful out of it for our children, for our lives, for those around us. And all of this ultimately is an expression of love. Fortunately, God made parents with this innate desire to love our children. Who else would sit around and count toes and fingers and hair follicles ad nauseum? Who would do that? Who would sit around and look at somebody's eyelashes and say, aren't they the most perfect eyelashes you ever saw? We are built with this innate love for those we are responsible for, for those God has given us in whatever way he's given them to us. That's a beautiful thing. When Catherine was three, I said, Catherine, I love you so much I can hardly stand it. Cute little thing. And she looked at me and she said, I can hardly stand it either. (laughs) Here's God's kind of love. Love is patient. It's a thing. It has a face to it. It has an action to it. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It is always hopeful. It endures through every circumstance. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And I'm sure in the message version, it says love always wipes bottoms and noses and listens to camp stories at the kitchen table for hours and hours and hours. Love looks like a mother. Love looks like a father. Love looks like a Christian. Christian means little Jesus, little Christ. Love looks like Jesus. Tell them, show them, receive what God has to give you for them. That is your expression of love. 
for your children, for those around you, for those you affect. It is your job as a Christian to become sanctified more like Jesus every day so that you can show the way. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.